0: TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. Indeed, the snare drum does mean you have found another edition of the Score North Gophers show. Thank you so much for doing so. No matter where it is you are finding this show or consuming the content, Whether it be via scorenorth.com or wherever you find your podcasts, I am grateful. We are grateful as a show that you make time for us here on the Score North Gophers show. No James Murphy today. No Daniel House. They will be back next Saturday or Sunday. They'll recap the big game between the Gophers and Purdue. I would be Ross Brendel walking you through this midweek edition where I got a pretty fun guest lined up. I'll segue into him in just moments. But again, you're listening to the Gophers show. Would like to get some minor news and notes out of the way. The first item of note, the Golden Gophers next in action. As mentioned on Saturday, the 28th, they will take on Purdue. That game did receive a game time this week. Kickoff at 2.30 from West Lafayette for the Golden Gophers and the Purdue Boilermakers. Again, Saturday, the 28th at 2.30. Another Another news. Item of note, this from the NBA relating to Golden Gopher Basketball, Jordan Murphy signed an Exhibit 10 deal with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Congrats to him. The synopsis of what that means from my Raised by Wolves friends, Manny Hill, Danny Cunningham, it essentially means more than likely he will spend the year with the uh, Iowa Timberwolves. I almost said Iowa Wild, not the right sport. The Timberwolves, of course, their affiliate and the Wilds affiliate, both in Des Moines. So that's your news and notes. Gophers in Purdue next Saturday, the 28th at 2:30. Jordan Murphy signing that Exhibit 10 deal with the Minnesota Timberwolves. I mentioned a great guest for today. I hope he is okay with the word "great." He'll have to live up to it. He will not. Not me. Kidding, of course. That great guest, Mister None Other than Tim Mcniff, who is a native Minnesotan. He turned an internship at Care 11 into an Emmy award-winning career in TV news and sports broadcasting that has spanned more than 25 years, that did span more than 25 years. Tim left broadcasting to work at a PR firm before launching his own business, Tim McNiff Incorporated, focused on strategic communication and multi-platform storytelling. He is a good storyteller. A blogger for the National Sports Center and co-host of the Beyond the Grit podcast, Beyond Grit podcast. Well, I could learn a thing or two about copy reading from you, Tim. Tim's created a trusted brand for helping businesses communicate more effectively. Tim, can you help promotions managers and from time to time – Radio, podcast, content people read copy better. Can you help me with that?
1: I think you were just caught up in the emotion of, of our being reunited.
0: Yeah, this is this is a coming home week, coming home, old home week. I don't know how you would frame this. Backstory, I worked in uh, southern, can we call New Prague, Minnesota, southern Minnesota? Absolutely. So we'll go with that. It's definitely south of the suburbs by just a little bit. I spent time in New Prague for a little over a year, and Tim joined me. Every weekday morning for roughly 20 minutes talking news and sports. This is a relationship that I love telling the story, Tim. We are going to keep this going as long as possible till it will probably inevitably end at a grocery store. I have (laughs) never, ever, ever met Tim face to face, but we have talked on the phone, communicated via social media and text. I kid you not, Tim, at this point, it probably literally is 1000 times. Yes. Never face to face.
1: And I'm at the point now where I just don't think we should.
0: No, let's keep it going. <laughs> <laughs> so this this is the midweek version of the Gopher Show, Tim, where I, I pretty much, during the football season here, I've just kind of been week by week figuring out what do I want to do. And for the most part, we've typically done game preview and review with something that relates to the upcoming opponent or the opponent that just was. Well, in this case, this week, there really is no opponent. I do want to start with a little bit of review of last week, and I did put together a few highlights I would like to play courtesy of the Big Ten Network, and then I would like to review the non-conference schedule. But the Gophers victorious with a 35-32 victory over Georgia Southern on Saturday. It didn't look so good at one point, but they did get a little bit of help at the end to seal the deal.
1: Morgan facing pressure, the ball's free, it's down on the deck, it's picked up on the run, Rashad Byrd racing to the end zone, touchdown Georgia Southern.
0: At that point, Georgia Southern would take the lead, things didn't look so great for the Gophers, but we do know they have this Johnson kid who's pretty good at receiving.
1: Morgan, another low snap, looking for the fade for Johnson, tied up, tangled up, acrobatic work, touchdown, Tyler Johnson would not be denied.
0: Again, those audio highlights courtesy of the Big Ten Network. So, Tim, obviously I alluded to your career here in the Twin Cities. I can't think of many people who know more about football and specifically have been in and around Gopher football in various ways for years. So I thought you'd be a perfect guest to help us uh, just review go for football so far as the seasons as the season is what three games old after non-conference but then just a bunch of go for football topics but you had sent me some notes about maybe what you wanted to talk about funny it's pretty much everything that I wanted to get to and I, I think I'm gonna I think I'm going jab at you a little bit so you you mentioned to me teams three and O bucking the longtime trend of a team that could easily be 0 and three so let's start there with your view of non-conference play and how it went.
1: I don't know that I'm going to necessarily break any new ground, you know, for anyone out there who watched those first three games. Um, I looked at the schedule heading into the season and I was like, okay, this non-conference schedule is no joke. And I know people who maybe don't follow it real close say, yeah, they say that every year. Uh, There's no team here that they really shouldn't beat. Well, South Dakota State is a very, very good program. And every time you play those teams, you know, it, it's it's a problem because you have a hard time getting your guys, you know, excited for it, and their guys are sky high because it's an opportunity to make a statement. And uh, it was a troublesome game because the Gopher offensive and defensive lines just got worked. And I would say that one thing that hasn't been brought up enough is the Gopher coaching staff got worked. They were so soundly outcoached and out prepared in that game, and it just took a massive mistake. And when you run the read option, you know, it's high risk, high reward. And in this case, the risk came back to to bite South Dakota State. and The Gophers escaped. So great, you're escaped with the win. And the next week at uh, Fresno, um, this is a team that uh, was a bowl team a year ago. Graduated a ton of guys, but not a one-year flash in the pan. This is a program that has been building for quite some time. And the Gophers actually, of the three games they played, I would say that was their best performance in that they they dominated the offensive line of the scrimmage, they moved the ball fairly much at will until they shot themselves and they shot holes in themselves. Put the ball on the ground six times, turned it over three times, directly resulting in seventeen points. Otherwise, you get out of there and you say, well, that was really an impressive road win. As it was, it took an absolutely cold-blooded fourth down strike from Tanner Morgan to Otman Bell to uh, to pull that one out of the uh, out of the the hole, but You could run that play, that touchdown play, 20 times and never throw it and catch it any better than those two did on fourth and 13 with 40 seconds to go in the game. That was cold-blooded.
0: Snatching, would that be snatching victory from the jaws of defeat in not only that game, not only perhaps South Dakota State, but then again, Tim, doing it with Georgia Southern.
1: And that was another one where I was back to troubled because the offensive and defensive lines just have not performed the way I would have expected them to coming into this season. Um, And again, you can say a lot of things about uh, Tanner Morgan and um, he's not the most exciting quarterback in the world. And he's probably not the best quarterback in the big Ten. but he's a winner. I mean, when you need plays in a clutch uh, that that snap and that throw, the touchdown pass at the end to uh, Tyler Johnson, not a good snap. And he goes down and makes the play and, and uh, puts it in a position where his receiver can catch the ball and, and did um, while he was being held on to. And you contrast that with what we saw Sunday in, at Lambeau Field. So we, Tanner Morgan is clutch.
0: So we mentioned, Tim, off the outset that you are blogging for the National Sports Center. And I've been reading that as you've been tweeting those out. And, of course, Tim, you're on Twitter. How can people follow you on the Twitter machine?
1: I am Tim McNiff1 on Twitter.
0: Did somebody steal Tim McNiff and you had to add the one, or was that just a conscious decision?
1: That was a conscious decision made by people right when Twitter was starting. And I, and I'll be honest with you. I I don't know how much of the whole social media stuff I would do if I didn't have to do it. And sometimes I like having an outlet for, you know, my opinion, just like all of us want to be heard and want to say some things, but um, it's, it's work for me to, to do those things. And so when it was set up, somebody was telling me, you know, you have to have a Twitter account. Um, who's the guy from CCO in the morning, Jason.
0: I'm, I'm thinking of the anchor. I, I'm, For, yeah. You would know this he, better he, than
1: I would. He was tweeting about his kids like every five minutes. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, and everybody had, he was, oh, you have to do this. You have to do this. This is the new thing. So I, I did it until he was going to a Miley Cyrus concert. And I thought it was a running joke until I realized it was real. And I said, okay, I'm not following that guy anymore to Russia. I'm not following that guy anymore, and I'm not going to do Twitter like that. I'm just going to talk about what I want to talk about, and so that's what I do.
0: There's a good uh, Dana Carvey. I almost called him Jason Carvey. There's a good Dana Carvey stand-up bit, if you haven't seen it, Tim, where he says, the only thing worse, that I know a lot of millennials, I'm one of them, are, are listening to this, to this Gopher show, so I'm not trying to offend anybody, but Dana Carvey's stand-up is brilliant. He says, the only thing worse than millennials is millennials' parents. And he goes down this He goes down this nice little path of why millennial parents are, are also tough, too. Neither here nor there. You're blogging for the National Sports Center, and you had basically said in a blog— I don't remember the exact words, Tim, but you basically felt like if the Gophers at least haven't turned the corner, they're pretty close, or they have turned the corner. I caution against that. I, I really don't see it that way at all. I'm still seeing, for the most part— And I don't like using this phrase, but to me, it still feels a little bit like same old gophers. First first week of the year, Tim, I agree with you. I always say the first week is about surviving. There's no preseason. You don't know what you're going to get. There's really no tape on your opponent. You can look back at last year, but how much that even matters. In this case, South Dakota State, I do believe in the FCS, they will be one of the last teams standing, if not the last team standing. So, okay, that's fine. 28-21, you win. I'm with you. The Fresno State game, aside from all the turnovers, which you'd like to think that they can clean up, that takes a lot, Tim. That was of all the three non-conference games. That one worried me the most because it's the first road game. It's against a legitimate opponent. It's against an opponent that now knows you, having played them last year. That's the game that scared me the most. They win it. I'm fine. Would have been nice to win it by more. That's okay. The Georgia Southern game, despite what the head coach tries to tell us about how great they are really troubles me because if you just show up ready to play, I think you win that game by two scores easily. Where I'm encouraged is in a game you easily could have lost, again, snatching victory from the jaws of defeat, you march 95 yards down the field in less than two minutes and still win the game. So I'm encouraged by those signs, but ultimately in my long-winded question and my long-winded response here is, I just want to see a team that shows up and do what Wisconsin does. 90% 90% of the time in non-conference play, they show up and beat a team 45-7. to 7. Why is that so impossible for the University of Minnesota to do?
1: We're not where Wisconsin is. You know, we beat them no, and I'm not year. saying
0: that. I'm, I'm not saying that.
1: Right. We, we beat Wisconsin last year, and that was a heck of a pleasant surprise. The turnaround at the end of last season and that victory over Wisconsin and the ensuing uh, impressive performance in the bowl game – I think left all of us very, very uh, optimistic. And then we got to look at the schedule and, and predicted that this team would be three and zero at this time. I just don't think all of us would be wringing our hands over this team at three and zero because we all expected more and we just haven't seen it yet. And it's, it's. I would still say that this football team's best football is still in front of it because they haven't suffered any major injuries that we're aware of. Their, their running backs were dinged up. And, and I'm, I'm interested to see who is available and ready to go you know, at Purdue. That, that's a situation. Uh, but they have great depth at that position. And their offensive line, for whatever reason, just has not been able to move anybody off the ball. And it's odd because it's the same offensive line, basically, that finished last season and was opening up gaping holes in Wisconsin. So think of it this way. When, when Barry Alvarez and, and Pat Richter, and then brought Pat Richter uh, brought in Barry Alvarez and, into Wisconsin, and he turned that program around with these, the coaching staff imported from Notre Dame and the, some great recruiting classes. And from the mid-90s on, Wisconsin has been fairly chugging forward at a pretty high rate. And uh, we want to be them, but we're not there yet. But the reason why I said that thing that they have turned the corner was because I have – I used to host a show called the Gopher Sports Extra. I covered the team extensively uh, under Jim Wacker and uh, Glenn Mason, have always uh, maintained a following of the program, uh, all all the way back to my formative years when Kent Kitzman uh, was a record-setting fullback, and we had an all-purpose player by the name of Rick Upchurch, who was one of the great lost talents of NFL history. Uh, Rick Upchurch played for the Denver Broncos and suffered a neck injury. And uh, if you ever get a chance to ask Tony Dungy about Rick Upchurch, ask him. Because Rick Upchurch could walk out there today, hit with his skill set, and and be a, a playmaker in the NFL. He was a wonderful running back, receiver, just a dynamic kick returner, electrifying talent. Um, th- th- those the team that they've got now has talent at the receiver position as a group, like this as in, this team has never had this program. talent at the running back position, like this program has never had talent. The defensive back. Position like this program has never had, and depth all around like this program has never had. So, am I worried about kind of how they got to three and zero? Of course, but I've seen Gopher teams that had far more to play for and, and better records and more winnable situations find ways to lose games than this team, which has found ways to win games. And I can't think of very many Gopher teams that ever were able to accomplish that, much less three weeks in a row.
0: Do you feel like we're going to learn an awful lot when the team travels to Purdue to West Lafayette in that 2-30 game to take on Purdue? Because I do. And the reason why I say that is uh, all of what we've just said with the non-conference schedule and each game did have its challenges and hurdles. Each opponent, for whatever reason, presented something a little bit different that made this a tougher non-conference schedule. Because I agree with you. We spent a few Gopher shows talking about the perils that could be in this non-conference schedule. But you look at Purdue, maybe they've come back to the pack a little bit, but I, I also look at it and say under P.J. Flex, since he's been here, the team hasn't necessarily opened well in conference play. In this case, they get two weeks off to prepare for that road game at Purdue. They have two weeks to address some of those things that you talked about. And in Coach Flex' defense, and you touched on this as well, Tim, The Gophers have played better towards the end, at least last year. Last year's probably the only real barometer. I don't know how much you can count in in year one. Definitely a better team in the second half last year than the first half. I I feel like if this is going to be a team that's going to contend for the Big Ten West, I really feel like we'll know by about 6 o'clock Central Time on Saturday the 28th if that's a realistic possibility. And for me, that means winning the game. You can't just compete and lose it if you expect to compete for the West and ultimately maybe finish 9-3 and, and have a chance to play in the Big Ten title game. I think you got to win that game here in a week and a half.
1: I'm with you 100%. I mean, I just think that when you look at the schedule, and, and people can say whatever they want about it in its totality. When you start breaking them down as far as games as they present themselves, this is a game this team has to step up and win. Because you come home the next week against Illinois, and obviously that is a game they put it on you last year. So you had an opportunity to get them back at home and, and win that game. Now you're 5-0 with Nebraska coming in, and we don't know quite what to expect. But, um, you know, Rutgers on the backside of that, then home against Maryland and Penn State. We've never matched up well with, with uh, Maryland. Penn State, we don't on paper, but you got them both at home. So really, you have an outside opportunity to really have a gaudy record by the time you hit November, and you've got those, or mid-November anyway, because Penn State would be a November game. Uh, but you've got the Iowa Northwestern Wisconsin closing stretch, two of those on the road where that's going to be tough, you know, tough sledding. Um, so Purdue, this is a team that was having a surprise season last year and came into, uh, TCF and favored to win and, and just got put on them by the Gophers. Don't think that they haven't circled this game on their calendar all year. I'm not I'm guessing we're probably their homecoming game. So, you're going to have a very motivated team capable of doing things. Who's going to be their quarterback? Because right now, uh, their their quarterback who is a real threat did not play against TCU. And will he be back or will they have to go with the uh, freshman plumber? So, um that's a big factor in that game. But either that said, either way, it's more about the Gophers to me than it is about Purdue. The defensive line has to start getting more pressure, and the offensive line has to start moving people and opening some holes, and they just haven't done it so far. And for the life of me, I don't know why, because the playmakers on this offense are just uh, incredible. And I think once the Gophers start to figure out how to distribute the football, I think they're as dangerous as uh, almost any other offense in the conference, because I, I don't know, honestly, of any... Uh, program in the in conference and you, Ohio State and Michigan included that have a better group of receivers they're probably as talented or maybe as fast but this group of gopher receivers there's at least two NFL players in this group if not more
0: this is the gopher show the score north gopher show I'm Ross Brendel at Brendel Ross on Twitter my guest today on this gopher show is Tim McNiff at Tim McNiff one on Twitter Tim currently a blogger for the National Sports Center and co-host of the Beyond the Grit podcast. He also has his own PR firm, Tim McNiff, Inc., a very, very, very busy man these days, so very happy to get him on this edition of the Gophers show. To me, you've you've already touched on it a few times, but I really love talking about this point because this is what makes me giddy about Gopher football, Tim, is the talent on this team. Across the board at almost every position offensively, I'm not sure I've ever seen this much talent, and I'll be 33 next month. You've you've talked about it as well. That is a testament to Coach Fleck and the staff to be able to not just recruit Minnesota. I've said this numerous times, Tim. If there are great players in the state of Minnesota, I want them, but ultimately at the end of the day, if they go somewhere else, I really don't care as long as you're recruiting well enough around the rest of the country that your football team is winning games on Saturday. I care about winning, I don't necessarily care where they come from unless, you know, every now and then you'll lose out on somebody to like a Arkansas or a Missouri and that'll baffle me a little bit. But until this team is really nationally relevant, Tim, I understand to a degree why kids will go to Notre Dame. Unfortunately, I get why they might choose Wisconsin as much as it pains me. I get why you might go to a Florida or Florida State, but Overall, the recruiting of this team and the recruiting by the coaching staff ha- has been phenomenal. That's just something we we haven't seen here. Jerry Kill, was he was okay, but he was not getting the upper echelon top four-star recruits that are coming here with more regularity than ever before.
1: No, totally agree. And that's why when we talk about whether the program has arrived or not, I think when you start seeing the, uh, the coaches from Iowa and Wisconsin complain about Minnesota, that tells me the program's arrived because you are taking players and, and you are getting players that they want and they are either staying home or you're getting them from other places. Uh, what this program needs, they need to win that Purdue game because they need to be in a, in, in a visible bowl game um, in, in January. To think what, what Coach Fleck has been able to accomplish – without being in the visible bowl game or having a first-round draft choice. And now, going into this year, um, there's a lot of football yet to be played. But um, my thought was perhaps he might lose his right tackle, um, who who might go into the league early. And after watching him in the first three games, and he's only played a couple years of football, I think he could definitely stand more time in the weight room and uh, more coaching. But I think even if he comes out, he might not go in the first round this year, but I wouldn't think he would drop any lower than three just based on his size at all. I think Falale is going to have a lot of people thinking, if we had him and we could coach him, you know, we could put him into that right tackle or maybe even in some day left tackle position and leave him there for a decade. Um, so I think that when we start having players drafted in invisible positions and getting that ball game, then it will really be something. But I, I just think just in what, P.J. Fleck has been able to do from a recruiting standpoint, it's program changing and it's, it's culture changing, all these things that had to happen. And uh, did we all want it to be a little faster than maybe it is? Um, yes. Cause we haven't seen good football out of the Gophers for, for a long time, but uh, it's close. And if he wins that game at Purdue, I believe he does beat Illinois. Now you start rolling the bones with Nebraska coming in here at five and Oh, and you're just looking at two more goal, games to be bowl eligible four more wins and, and you've got yourself a a prime bowl game and this program is capable of it but they've got to obviously play better than they have in the first three weeks
0: so tim i am a huge fan of coach fleck i've from the get-go i started catching wind of him i'm a huge college football fan as i think you've gathered from me there are saturdays where i have no problem admitting this from like 11 a.m to 1 a.m i'll wind up just watching college football it's it's uh, I'll, I'll say it's embarrassing and awesome to admit at the same time to be able to do that. So I, I picked up wind on him for a you know, couple of years before he had left Western Michigan, and that magical run he had, losing to Wisconsin, I, I believe, in the Cotton Bowl. I think he was the right coach for the right time for this university. They had to do something different. They had to try and, as you said and as he says, change the culture, do things differently, change your best, all of that stuff. With that being said... Not a lot infuriates me anymore watching sports for the most part. I, I watch them all pretty calmly. I try and watch them as objectively as possible, even though I'm definitely cheering for my teams. Not a lot infuriates me more than just wasting timeouts. I really mm. I really don't think he has any idea how to use timeouts. <laughs> it's it is incredibly frustrating and now again he would come back and say well I'm three and0 I've I've ran successful programs at Western Michigan and now it's trending that way at Minnesota Ross you're the guy sitting at home for 13 hours watching college football while I'm coaching it I get that but at times I just don't know what the heck they're doing and at times you can tell it's so predictable that everybody in the stadium knows, well, he's just going to, they're going to act like they're going to go for it here. They're never going to break the huddle. They're going to let all the clock wind down. They'll call timeout, then they'll, they'll eventually punt. The, the timeouts just drive me crazy, especially against Georgia Southern. You, you needed all those timeouts and you had none left at the end of the game. They were lucky to escape with a victory.
1: 100%. And he even said after the game that, that he did not have a good game and, and he made mistakes, and yet this team still found a way to get it done. Even think about that last minute drive there was one instance where the Gophers had uh, picked up a first down and were waiting to get the play in, and more than, I don't know how many seconds, I was going to say more than 30, but I'm not sure if there's a clock in college football, but but forever went off that clock as Morgan was standing there looking at the sideline, and they wouldn't get a play in. If I was Morgan, I would have said everybody on the ball, and I would have just clocked it. I would have put it into the ground because they needed to stop the clock more than they needed to, you know, get a completion at that point. So um, it was not, and that was my question really about him for the first two years when people would ask me, I would say, well, I'm not really sure how good a game manager he is Uh, coming from a coaching background. It it's chaos, you know, it's it's organized chaos on the sidelines and, and every, every coach can't keep a, a handle on every aspect of the game. Um, you just can't. There's just too many things. And I think some coaches, their biggest mistake is trying to to do all things. Sometimes you just have to leave yourself open, you know, to somebody else to say to you, you know, you don't do this or go for two or whatever it is, but how much time do you have to do all that and to take it all in? I think like Sean McVay of the Rams, I think is one of the few coaches that I'm aware of who really can manage all aspects as far as I know and, and and do those sorts of things. Um, But I think TJ Fleck has tried to spread himself a little thin and I think that in his kind of zest to be all things to all people, he is uh, opening up some vulnerabilities, and I think he needs to dial it back. I think he needs to delegate a little bit more, and I think he would be a little bit sharper and a little more focused. But he would also that mean giving up control over some aspects and really putting his trust into some of those coaches to make calls that uh, you know I think he's currently trying to make right now, but taking on too much. Circling
0: back to Tanner Morgan, you mentioned he's a winner. I've said all along before Zach Anikstead got hurt. I thought last year he showed he is the quarterback for this team. Whether he's the best quarterback on the roster, technically, physically, athletically, I'm not positive. All I know is what I saw last year. I thought the team played better with him under center. I didn't want Zach Anikstead to get injured. That's not what I'm saying. Just in the end, I believe the right quarterback is quarterbacking the team for at least this moment and this moment in time when I look at him I I say winner the guy just he's a gamer he finds a way to win you called him a winner the comparison Daniel House who's on this uh this show an awful lot one of the co-hosts here during the football season he likened him to Case Keenum do you do you like that comparison
1: I think Case Keenum's probably a little bit more athletic I think Case Keenum's underrated for his escapability and his ability to throw on the run um, I'm trying to think of who I would want to compare Tanner Morgan to because he, he doesn't have a huge arm. Um, you know, I, I, I just have a hard time saying who I would compare him to. Because he's just, he just seems to—he's
0: tough. He takes hits and he just keeps getting back up. He's—he's he's tough.
1: Yeah, and and he's not afraid to call his own number. I wouldn't say some quarterbacks I've seen have been sort of like a ball hog, but but he'll keep it at certain times. And sometimes I wish he'd handed it off to Ibrahim you know, and or, or Rodney Smith and not kept it. Um but no, I I think all in all he's a more of a of a manager, I would say, than Case Keenum is Case Keenum to me is, is sort of a gambler and um and a guy who makes a lot of plays, you know, with his feet just extending plays. Um I don't know that I've put Morgan quite in that category, but I guess I know where he's going with it. I just don't think that either one's a guy you're gonna fall in love with for his physical skills although Case Keenum did put up uh, prolific passing numbers in college. So maybe that comparison isn't fair to Case Keenum either.
0: I am going to close here, Tim, with a couple of doozies. I think a really, really some fun questions, but I think tough to answer. One of them I'll start kind of, I think it's near and dear to you. you. You mentioned how much gopher football access you had throughout your career and how close you had been to the program. I just want one really good nugget or memory, either as a fan watching from your recliner at home or even being in a post-game locker room, do you have a favorite Gopher football memory from the last 20-plus years being in and around Gopher football?
1: Easy. Uh, Music City Bowl, and I want to say 2002, 2003, um, the Gophers went to the Music City Bowl in Nashville and uh, beat Alabama. Can I say that again? Beat Alabama in a game that was not as close as the final score indicates. That was Glenn Mason. That was uh, Marion Barber, uh, Lawrence Maroney. That crew, Greg Esslinger, and and we pushed Alabama all around that football field. And I remember thinking that day, okay, next year is going to be great. This program has arrived. And then, of course, it was more of the same. More finding ways to lose games to Northwestern on some hail mary, and to Purdue, and when they they had the end zone painted wrong where there was a patch of green where the gopher thing and the Vikings thing would be the next day. And they said Tutu Atwell's foot was out when it was in and just crazy things would always bite this program, but you want a happy memory right away. You notice a hair sliding into all the pain but but was that Music City Bowl and watching the Gophers take it to Alabama. And there's a friend of mine who used to work at Care by the name of Mike Dubberly who still works on the air down in Mobile. And every time he tweets anything about Alabama, I jump on Twitter right away and tweet right back at him about the, the Gophers beating them in the Music City Bowl. He's got no comeback because we are 1-0 and against Alabama all time.
0: I think – I don't know if it technically qualifies as a winning streak, but to your point, they haven't lost to him. So that has, to, that has to count for something. I believe, Tim <laughs> – I believe was that Mike Shula coaching Alabama at the time? Was that Don's it sounds, boy? It, it certainly could have been. Yes. I'm like 95% positive. Maybe as I ask you the next question I'll I'll fact check that on my uh, on my phone here. Nationally relevant, Tim. Again, circling way back, Tim and I used to do a morning hit for about 20 minutes every day for a little over a year. I'm almost positive I asked you this question in 2009. It's the same question in 2019. When I say nationally relevant, can the Gophers ever become nationally relevant? I think the bar for me is Wisconsin or Michigan State. Can the Gopher football program ever consistently get to that level? I'm not talking just one year winning a really nice bowl game. Can they get to the point where it's two really nice bowl games every three years maybe in a Big Ten championship game once every four or five years. Is that possible? My heart of hearts, Tim, tells me absolutely it is. If Northwestern at times can compete and play in Rose Bowls, heck, even Illinois in, what, 2002, 2003, if Illinois can do it and Northwestern can do it, Minnesota can do it. But, Tim, the evidence also says you really haven't since 1967. Can it happen? Will it happen?
1: I think the key is P.J. Fleck. I think right now, um, you know, there's things that people like about him. There's things that he drives people crazy at. I don't love to see him lead the football team onto the field. I think that's something that should be for the players. I don't need to see him run down the field between quarters. Um, But you know what? He has a wonderful relationship with his players, by and large. You're you're never going to have all of them, but but he, he recruits well. We're getting talent that we haven't gotten in the past, and and that's the biggest uh, thing. I'm Talking about go for memories, I remember the late great Jim Wacker saying to me, "Tim, I'm a much better coach with bigger, stronger, faster players," and I think that's what we're seeing with uh, PJ Fleck. He's getting bigger, stronger, faster players, and he's not going to have to throw seventy percent of his freshman class into the breach every year, you know, going forward. Uh, so I think it's possible. I think it's it all comes with retaining P.J. Fleck. And I, I mean that. I think that right now, to me, he's the bell cow for Gopher Athletics. And so many of the, the programs, the women's programs are going great. And, you know, We've got a new direction for the, the men's hockey program. But ultimately, so much rides on football. And I think that P.J. Fleck, with his focus on culture and the community and giving back and, and, and doing programs in the community, but also winning football games, I think that this football team has one good year, recruits off that again. I think it's only going to be better next year. So I'm going to say to you, being the eternal optimist that I am, yes, it can happen. But it's, to me, it's all about P.J. Fleck.
0: And a lot of that, Tim, I feel like some of that is not just on the athletic department. It's on it's on the president. And I don't want to put her on the hot seat because she's, she's new to the job. But I don't think people realize when it comes to athletics how important it is having a president who buys in to the importance of athletics, because if if this program goes where we're hoping that it's going, let's say it's this year and the Gophers go nine and three, they go to the big 10 title game. I'll just say they lose it, but maybe for sake of argument, they win it. Tennessee might have a job opening. It's going to come more than likely with a lot more of a yearly base than what coach flex currently making at that time. Will the university step up? I'm with you, Tim. Uh, If that case or that, is ever presented, they're probably just going to have to, whether they want to or not, because if we get close, I don't want to trust that the next guy is going to be able to carry the baton. Right. It's just, it's an unenviable position. I think to be in for a newer president and even an athletic department. But I just think when the time comes historically looking across college football, not every team, there's only so many programs, Tim, that can write a blank check. But you can do things to entice coaches to stay. Will the U of M do that if that opportunity presents itself to P.J. Fleck? I, I'm not sure. I guess time will have to tell.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I don't know what his, you know, where his priorities are. You know, he and his wife. I know they've they've uh, been very involved in the community. You know, if he wants an NFL out, you'd have to give him that. But yeah, I don't want. I would wouldn't want to lose him to another college program because I think there are schools that will be in a rebuilding mode. Um, like like an Oklahoma State or something like that, that is going to spend much more money on this than the University of Minnesota would traditionally. But I think you you could set this up to make PJ Fleck very well uh, very happy to be here. And to use again, go back to the Barry Alvarez um, equivalent, just say to him, there's a great opportunity for you here to, to coach for 10 or 15 years, and perhaps then move up to the athletic director role. And then maybe you use your platform of, of, you know, relationships and energy and all the rest of it, just promoting all gopher sports rather than just football. Uh, But you could carve out a very long uh, and, and well, you know, compensated career as a big fish in a small pond rather than always going somewhere else and trying to rebuild another program. And I don't know whether his act would play in the NFL because ultimately it's all about X's and O's. and. I think I think we're all kind of – I don't know if you speak for everybody, but after last game, I think there are a lot of questions about his X's and O's, and I think that's the one thing that myself that I've always struggled with was how much is he just a salesman and how much is he really a football coach? And I don't know about uh, how great a football coach he is because I'm not inside. Uh, I'd like to think that he's good enough, and I know as far as a recruiter and a salesperson, he's more than good enough.
0: I'll put you on the spot, Tim, here in closing. What do you have for a final record? You have the benefit in knowing they already have three in their back pocket. Nothing's changed for me. I still think this is a seven and five eight and four football team. I really hope that I'm wrong and I acknowledge there is talent and growth for it to be wrong, but I'm sitting somewhere in that seven to eight win category. I think I ultimately settled on eight and four. Where are you at?
1: I think eight and four is is a, a good record for this team. Because I think you look at the last three games at Iowa, at Northwestern, home against Wisconsin, it's hard to believe they're going to win two of those, Uh, you know, just based on record. Iowa looks to be very, very good Uh, at Northwestern has never been easy for us. And then you got to roll the bones against Wisconsin. Hopefully they can retain it in between. We just have never matched up well against Maryland. You got Penn State. So if you look at those last five games, you're looking at a decent probability of four losses. And then you got Rutgers and, and Nebraska and the two weeks before that, you're counting on a win at Rutgers, but that Nebraska game here's another one of those ones where you kind of do the toss-up. So I think this football team is capable. I think anything above eight wins is uh is great. It's just like he did it. You know, he had a breakthrough year. And he had it in year three at Western Michigan. I'm hoping that is the case here. He he seems to have gotten his teams ready to play in the biggest games, and maybe they're still waiting for that. Uh so I would say as we sit here. I think eight and four is a good season. Seven and five, somewhat of a disappointment. Nine and three. Let's go, baby.
0: Tim, well, I hope you're not disappointed in me before I record every podcast. I run back and forth in the podcast studio, very similar to how PJ runs from uh, side to side (laughs) or down the sidelines. So that's that's how I get pumped to do this. Tim, this was a ton of fun. I appreciate it. Before I let you go, where can people find out more from you? You got the Twitter handle, the blog. How do people find everything Tim McNiff related?
1: That's it. I've got my website, timmcniff.com. You've mentioned Tim McNiff1 on Twitter. Uh, I'm on Facebook, and a lot of my, my posts, will I'll, I'll repost them there. But the National Sports Center has a blog called Beyond the Bench. And, and just by um, coincidence – I read a wonderful book by a mental performance coach from University of Minnesota State Mankato uh, named Cinder Kampoff called Beyond Grit. And it was a wonderful book. And it's it's all about uh, helping you reach your peak mental performance. And it's really a step-by-step manual. And uh, so I reached out to her and we have uh, created a uh, podcast. We're going to be doing the Beyond Grit podcast. And uh, that's about to launch. And I'm hoping it's going to launch uh, Monday, um, the 23rd. Uh, on the the blog page at the NSC, so I'm hoping that people will see that, and I think if you do follow along that and read the book, uh, you'll never be sorry, because this is going to help you in so many ways. She works with NFL teams, other teams in all different levels, high school, college, and professional, and she's as good as they come, and uh, it's a a ton of fun, and I think it's going to help a lot of people.
0: Awesome stuff. Let's do this again soon, Tim. I greatly appreciate it, had a ton of fun catching up. Thank you very much, sir.
1: Ross, I can't thank you enough, and and it was great to uh, great to be reconnected with you. And just I was, you know, a lot of people who have met me were so tremendously disappointed who met me in person. So I think you're ahead of the game. Yeah, That's well, I'm
0: saying well, I don't know if I'm ahead of the game or maybe I'm just behind the game and not being disappointed like everybody else. I guess the jury, <laughs> the jury's still out on that one. Tim, we'll talk again soon. Thanks a ton be well. That is the voice of Tim McNiff. Again, you can find him on Twitter at Tim McNiff1. In closing, again, you're listening to the midweek edition here of the Score North Gophers show. I'm Ross Brendel, a plug for James Murphy and Daniel House. They'll be back the weekend of the 28th to break down what we hope is a big Golden Gopher victory over Purdue. That'll do it for this edition of the Gopher Show. Again, my thanks to Tim McNiff. Again, find him on Twitter Find all of his work. One of the finest men I've had the opportunity to talk to. Still not meet in person. That'll do it for this edition of The Gopher Show.